Uh, welcome to Harvest. My name is Pastor Mike. We're so glad that you're here worshiping with us today. And if you're visiting with us, man, we're super glad you're here. If we can help you or serve you in any way, please let us know. We'd love to do that. Before I get started this morning, I do want to uh, introduce slash embarrass um, some special guests that we have with us today. So Arturo and Carol, can you guys stand up for me for just a second and just turn around and give them a good wave? <clears throat> so I, um, I mentioned to you guys a couple weeks ago that uh, we were going to have a couple pastor and his wife coming in from Honduras uh, to spend the week with us. So this is Arturo and Carol Gomez, and uh, they are ministering right now in Honduras, and they are exploring the possibility of partnering with us and some other Harvest churches to plant a Harvest Bible Chapel in Honduras. And so at this stage, it's very early on, and we're still just kind of, you know, looking at what things are available and what kind of possibilities are out there and just seeing what the Lord would have us to do. So uh, we're going to leave this in God's hands. Amen. Uh, we don't plant churches. Who plants churches? Jesus plants churches, right? He's the head of the church. And so we're going to leave this in his hands and whatever he does with it, that's great. And we'll be excited to be a part of however he moves that forward. But super excited to have you guys with us and thank you for, for coming and being with us this week. It's a blessing to get to uh, be with you all this week and just minister and share a little bit of what God's doing here in St. Louis with you. So um, so we've been in the book of Jonah the last couple of weeks. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab that, and we're going to be going to Jonah. Um, if you're with us today and you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you underneath the chairs. You can grab one of those and follow along with us that way. Um, so this series has been called uh, God's Infuriating Grace. And we've been looking at all the ways that sometimes we can get sideways with God's grace in ways that we don't always respond to it in the way that we should or the way that's best. And, and um, so we've went through a long journey already with Jonah, and he's went through a lot of stuff, um, but today we're going to see how it all kind of comes together, not only for him, but also for the Ninevites, and um, not just how do we respond to the hard parts of God's grace, but how do we finally open ourselves up to receive God's grace once he's ready to, to pour that into our lives again. And so uh, today that's what it's called, receiving God's grace, and I hope this is a blessing to you as we walk through this. So many of you know that um, when I grew up, I was, I was born a pastor's kid and kind of grew up in church and was in different churches throughout my life and stuff. But um, my dad being a pastor back in those days, you know, he did the, the good pastor thing and he married a woman who was musical, right? Back then the pastor's wife had to play the piano and do the music stuff. And, and so my mom did all that. She was a singer and she played piano. And, and so I kind of got some of my, um, my musical abilities and just desire and, and, you know, love for music from her. Um, I remember, you know, that's how I learned to sing, was listening to her sing, standing next to her in service and singing those hymns and learning harmonies from her. And Courtney still gets mad at this to, at, to this day because I always want to sing the alto instead of the tenor part because that's what mom's saying and that's what I learned and that's just what I hear. And she's like, get off my part. Um, but that, I just kind of grew up in that. And so I remember like the first time I, I sang a solo in church, I was like five years old. It was a Christmas program. It was uh, Away in a Manger was my first song. They had me dressed up like some like little teddy bear or something. It was really embarrassing um, for the Christmas program. But, but it just kind of grew from there. And I started, you know, doing solos and, and choirs and duets and, and just started, you know, getting more and more into this thing until one day, in, I was like in middle school age probably, um, we were at this church and my stepsister and I, uh, we're going to sing a duet on, at the Sunday night service. We saw Sunday night services then. And so we went to the service. We were doing this duet. And it was like, um, it was that old uh, Ray Bolt's classic. You know, like all the songs back then, it was like Ray Bolt and Sandy Patty. That's all we sang. So, um, so it, was, it was that thank you song. You remember the same thing? You know, thank you for giving to the Lord. I was alive that was changed. Right? So, 
So we sing this song, and it gets to my part, like the second verse is my solo. It's not my, my time to shine, right? So we get to the second verse, and I just completely blank. Like, no words are coming. Like, I have no idea what to sing. No words in front of me. So I'm just, like, staring into the congregation, like, what do I do? Just, just completely mortified that I, I don't remember this song, wishing that there was a trap door in the stage that would just, like, suck me in at this moment. And so we, we wrestle our way through the rest of the song. She gets me back on track with the chorus, and we keep going. And I'm, I was so embarrassed when I got off stage, I just went straight to the car. Like, I didn't go back into the service. I didn't stay for it. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just went straight to the car and just stayed there the rest of the night and waited for it until it was time to go home. And, and after that, I, I was like, that's it. I'm done. Like, I'm not getting up and singing again. I'm not getting up in front of people. That was embarrassing. I don't ever want to fail like that again. Um, so I, I'm just done with that whole thing. And I didn't. I didn't sing for a while after that. And, uh, but thankfully, uh, by God's grace, he came back and corrected my pride and drew me back in and started allowing me to, to grow in musical things again. And to the point where you guys know my testimony in college, when I finally came back to the Lord after a time of rebellion in my own life, it was music that he used to get me back into ministry and to get me on the path to eventually being a pastor and so forth. And so God does that with things in our lives. Like when we mess up and we think that failed, now I'm done, that's it, I'm out. Like this is, this is the end of it for me. And God says, I've got, I've got this. And, and it doesn't have to be the end. Failure doesn't have to be final with God. Right? Now, hear me today. I'm not talking about some self-help message today. Like, you just try harder and keep going and second chances for you. And if you'll do better next time. No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, listen, when you've got God in your life, failure doesn't have to be final. Because God's grace can bring you out to the other side of that. Right? And we're going to see that with Jonah and we're going to see that with the Ninevites um, today. So, in Jonah chapter 3, we're picking up in verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. So let's pause there for just a second. So the first thing I want you to see this morning about God's grace, receiving God's grace, is I need grace because I mess up. Anybody else in that club with me? today? Like, I need God's grace because I mess up sometimes. And, and we know that Jonah messed up, right? Like, you remember kind of the, the recap of the story, like God told him to do something and he didn't do it, and Jonah had, had some big mess-ups along this journey so far. But I think it's interesting here in verse 1 of chapter 3, it starts off, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Does that sound, like, familiar to anybody? Like, is, that, is anybody hearing an echo? Like, those are the exact same words of verse 1 chapter 1. This whole story started with the word of the Lord came to Jonah. So God spoke in chapter 1, verse 1, and he's still speaking now, right? He hasn't left Jonah. He hasn't given up on Jonah. He's still speaking to Jonah. The same thing. And what's interesting, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah, which tells me that after all of his failures and after all of his mess-ups, Jonah is still God's prophet. God didn't discard him. He didn't say, oh, you messed up. That's too big. I'm done with you. You're on the sideline now. You're out of the game. He's still coming back and calling Jonah out. And that's, that's, a, that's really, really good for my soul. Us as the children of God, even though we're followers of Christ, man, sometimes we still mess up, right? It's good to know that God doesn't give up on us and he doesn't sideline us just because we mess up. That he still has a second chapter for us or 
third chapter or a fourth chapter. You know, some of us takes a little while to learn, right? It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, which is emphasizing just what I'm talking about, that our God is a God of second chances. But I think it's also interesting that this is only the second time that God has spoken to Jonah along this journey. Anybody else catch that? He said to Jonah, hey, go, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I ain't doing that. Jonah runs the other way, gets on the ship, goes through the whole thing, in the belly of the, the fish, the whole deal. All throughout that rebellion period, God stopped speaking to Jonah. He didn't beg him. He didn't plead with him. He didn't threaten him. He didn't try to coerce him. He told him, this is what I want you to do. Jonah chose not to do it, and God said, okay, I'll wait. Until you're ready to be obedient, I'll just wait right here. We could learn some things from God, couldn't we, parents? <laughs> but here's the application for us. Sometimes in our lives, we stop hearing from God. Have you been in that season before? You ever had that, that time in your life where you just don't feel like God is saying anything? You just don't feel like there's any communication going on. Maybe you're praying, you're in the word, and you're just, it's like prayers are hitting the ceiling and bouncing back down at you, and you just, it's like there's no communication going on. Usually, not always, but usually, if you stop hearing from God, it's because of one of three things, all right? I want to jot these down. If you stop hearing from God, check here first. Number one, disobedience. That was Jonah's thing, right? Choosing my way instead of God's way. God says, do this. I say, no, I'm going to do this. And God says, okay, go on. <laughs> I'm not going to force you. But as soon as we start going our way and we disobey what God has told us to do, God stops speaking until we come back to obedience. So sometimes it's disobedience. Number two, sometimes we stop hearing from God because of depravity. Sometimes it's just unrepented sin. I got some sin in my life. God has revealed it to me. The Holy Spirit has said, hey, you need to, you need to get this right. And I'm like, nope, don't want to deal with that yet. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it. I, I'm not ready to give that up yet. I'm not ready to repent of that sin. I'm just going to keep down this path. And God says, okay, whenever you're ready, I'll be here. And he stops speaking. Or sometimes we stop hearing from God because of distraction. Sometimes it's not so much disobedience or straight sin, but we get ourselves distracted with other things that we think are more important than our relationship with God. Our priorities get out of whack, and we start putting things above him in our life. And God says, okay, I'm gonna let you ride that out for now. I'll be right here waiting. I'm not leaving you, but I'm not gonna force you. And, and once you ready to align your heart with me again, then we can start talking again. And he does this with Jonah. So this is like this only the second time he talks to Jonah in the whole story. But what's interesting to me is all these things, disobedience, depravity, distraction, all of these are ultimately worship problems, right? All these things are ultimately, I'm, I'm choosing to lift something or someone above God in my life. Either myself or my own desires, my own sin, or, you know, um, uh, my, other distractions, other things in my life, other priorities, people, my job, my family, my, my bank account, my recreation, my whatever it is. I'm, I'm elevating something. I'm worshiping something more than I'm worshiping God when I get into one of these areas. And when I mess up my worship of God, 
I need God's grace to get me back on track. That's what draws us back. So God's speaking to Jonah again, finally, second time, and he says, arise, go to Nineveh. Again, this is like deja vu, right? Like exact same message. He's like, I already told you once, I'll tell you again, arise, go to Nineveh. And again, that arise word means quickly. It means with haste, like now, go, right? And so he says, go to Nineveh. So still the same mission. It hasn't changed. God's got the same plan here going on. And he says, go there and call out against them. That, that idea of call out there is to proclaim a message. And he says here, the message that I tell you. You see, Jonah didn't even know what he was going to say yet. God just said, get up and go to Nineveh. I'll tell you what to say. And Jonah went. Because God was looking for obedience. And if we continue to walk in obedience to God, he keeps talking to us. He says, listen, get up and go. And then when you get there, I'll tell you what to say. And because Jonah went up and got up and went, then God continued to speak to him and give him the next step and the next step and continued to lead him in the path that he had planned. So it says that Jonah arose and went. All right? Again, that arose is that quickly, with haste. So God said, do it quickly. Jonah did it quickly, all right? And there was immediate obedience this time, opposed to last time, which was, there was immediate disobedience, right? And it, even just to make sure we don't miss it, it says he went according to the word of the Lord, right? So he's obeying God's word this time. He's precisely obeying exactly what God said to do. I'm, I'm all in this time, God. I got you. <laughs> I'm hearing you loud and clear now. And then it gives us a little, this little commentary about Nineveh. It says Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, which great there means really, really big. Okay, he's not talking about like great, like it was awesome. We love to live there. But like really, really big in size is what that means. And it says, it goes on to say that it was three days journey in breadth. So let's talk about that for a second, because that's just kind of a, a strange statement for us. So in this time period, the average person could walk in a day's time. A day's journey was somewhere between 17 and 20 miles, okay? I guess depending on how fit you were, all right? And so three days journey would be somewhere between like 50 and 60 miles, roughly. That's a big city. 50 to 60 miles wide. And so I just did a little historical work on this. I'm like, that seems like a really, really big city, especially in this time period. And historical records show that at its height, at its biggest point, Nineveh was probably only about a mile wide. And if you even went around the whole circumference, so maybe three breadth, maybe it means all the way around it, that was about seven miles. So how do we square one to seven miles with 50 to 60 miles. Like, that doesn't seem to jive, right? Are you, are you tracking with me today? And so I did some more research, and, and here were some explanations that were given. One was, well, maybe it was, a, it was a, a misquote in the author. What he was trying to say was it was a three days journey to Nineveh rather than three days through Nineveh. But again, if you do the math out from the shore to Nineveh, it was actually about a 30-day journey. It's a long way. So that doesn't really play. Another person said, well, maybe it's, it was a three-day journey through the city because he was going street corner to street corner to street corner to street corner proclaiming this message, right? Like, if it's a big city, you can't just, like, say it in one place and everybody get it. So he's, like, going through different sections of the city proclaiming this message, and it took him three days to do it, which could be a logical explanation, except for it specifically says three days' breath. It's not talking about an amount of time. It's talking about a, a size, 
right? So a third scenario was, well, in the ancient Near East, um, during this time period, there was a, there hospita- we talked about this before, hospitality was a really big deal, right? And the, 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 the custom of the day was that if you were traveling somewhere, it, no matter what you had to do, there was always at least three days involved because one day of travel into the city and then you met your host and you rested and they, they kind of took care of you for the day. Then you had a day of work and then you had a day of leaving, basically. And so it was a three days in the custom of the day. It took three days to kind of traverse the city and to do the whole thing. And, but again, that's a time thing. It's not a size thing. And so as I was digging deeper this week, I came across this verse. Listen to this, Genesis 10, verses 11 and 12. It's talking about this guy named Nimrod. It's like, it's like the worst name ever, right? Like, but anyways, this guy Nimrod, so it's talking about that he's going through and he's, it says here in Genesis, that from, the land, from, the, from that land where he was, he went into Assyria, which is where Nineveh's at, right? You with me? And he, and built, this is like a long time ago, before this Jonah story, built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kala. That is the great city. And so the great city vernacular here is actually not describing just the city limits of Nineveh, just the wall around the city, but actually this greater region around Nineveh that included several other cities that were kind of like all kind of pushed together and, and compose this greater region. It's kind of like, it's kind of like for a, a similarity here in St. Louis, right? We have St. Louis City, right? That if you measure that, it's about, um, I didn't measure this week, about seven miles wide and about 14 miles long or tall, if you will. But if you measure the greater St. Louis metro area and kind of all of the stuff together, it's about 30 to 50 miles wide, depending on where you measure and how you do it. It's not exactly a perfect circle, obviously. So, so what he's talking about here, he said that, Nineveh was a, an exceedingly great city. It's kind of talking about this larger region, metro area of Nineveh, if you will. And so it wasn't like just the people in the city that were having a problem with God. God was like, all these people need the message, right? And so he's coming three days through this greater region, proclaiming this message that God's going to give him. And that's just an interesting point to me. When we're studying the Bible, sometimes there's some things that aren't always clear. Okay? We believe all the Bible is equally true. It's all equally relevant, but it's not all equally clear, right? Some parts are easier to understand than others. And one of the things we always teach people when we're teaching people to study the Bible and is the best thing you can do when you come to a part of Scripture that's less clear is to go to a part of Scripture that's more clear. Because oftentimes the Bible is the best explanation for itself. We can go outside, we can get other historical documents, and we do that, and we want to learn more, and we want to see all the stuff around it and make sure that it all jives together but all times, you'll find the best answer is actually in God's word itself. And so when we study God's word, we want to look in and we want to press in and get more scripture to support what we're studying so we can actually understand all of it. So that's just a great example of that. So for us, um, you know, the last couple of years have, I don't, I don't know if it's been coming back to Missouri or what, but like all of a sudden, Courtney and I have started getting allergies. Like I never had that, you know, like when I was younger and, and, and like this year has just been horrible with the pollen and whatever, but but last year, I started really noticing I was having these allergy problems. And like I was kind of stuffed up. And then I, I started having some problems like in this lower ear part right here. It was, like, it was kind of like popping and it was like all this pressure. And, and um, 
and just pain sometimes. And so I went to my doctor, and he's like, yeah, you got allergies and blah, blah, blah. And so they gave me some medicine, like Allegra or whatever to take. And I take this for a few days, and it'll clear it up, and it'll get all the stuff out of there. I said, okay. So I did that last year. I started taking this medicine. It started helping. It started kind of going away. And then we went on our family vacation last year to family camp. And uh, we go to this family camp every year up in Michigan with our girls, and they have all kinds of activities. It's a fantastic time. They got, you know, sports, and they have worship in the morning and sermons, and the food's great, and do all that. You can have time together with your family throughout the day. And so, so we go up there, and one of the things, they have this giant lake, and they have some ski boats they take out, and you can, like, get some time on the lake to ski or tube or whatever you want to do. And so it was our turn to go out on the lake, and, um, and they... I wanted to ski, and they didn't have, the, the skis were on the other boat, and they only had one set at the time, and so he's like, I don't have any skis for you. He's like, but we got a, we got a wakeboard. Have you ever wakeboarded? And I was like, no, and he was like, oh, I can teach you. It's no big deal. It's, it's really easy. You, you'll, you'll be up in no time. I was like, okay, um, and so we go out, like, big, big mistake. Like, I, like, I think I drank half that lake trying to get up on that stupid wakeboard. Like, I was up and then just crashing, into, like, several times and never could quite get it down, but I mean, I had several pretty good impacts with the water in the process of all this thing. So we finally get off the boat. We go back to the, the cabin to kind of clean up and get ready for dinner. And all of a sudden, my, my ear just starts, like, really hurting. Like, this really, this, this pain and pressure. And I, I kind of started, couldn't hear real well. Like, I started kind of losing some hearing a little bit. And I'm like, what is going on? And I didn't want to go to the ER because, you know, you're on vacation. It's just a big hassle. And so our, our interns have started doing this virtual online doctor thing. Has anybody else done this? Yeah, don't, okay? So, um, so I did this, and so it's like a video chat with a doctor, and they try to diagnose you, like, over the thing, and, and so she's like, I think you have, like, an inner ear infection, plus the, the Allegra D is, like, drying you up too much, and so, like, I'm going to call in these meds, and so she did, and I went to the pharmacy, got the antibiotics, and we're doing the thing, and it started going away a little bit, started getting better, and, but when I, we got back to St. Louis, it still wasn't all the way fixed, like, the pain had went away, but I still couldn't hear real well, and there was pressure, and so I go and I see uh, my doctor to have them actually give me a, a real exam and check it out. And um, this is, this is kind of gross, by the way. I'm just going to, like, pre-warn you. So, so what had happened was evidently I had some, some kind of some buildup in my ear. And when I hit the water from the wakeboarding, it actually, like, the water impact, like, lodged this piece of earwax, like, down into my ear, like, right up against my eardrum. It was kind of, like, lodged in there. And they couldn't even, like, like, get it out with the thing. And so they had to get, like, these big syringes of, like, super hot water and, and, and like, squirt it down in there and, like, flush this whole thing out and break it up. And so that's a really gross story. But here's the point. So as soon as that dislodged and came out, it was, like, immediate. Pressure was gone. I could hear again. It was just, like, miracle, all right? Um, and what's amazing to me about that is it's such a small—I mean, it was not that big such a small little thing could cause such pain and loss of hearing. Disobedience, sin, distractions, although they might seem little at the time, those get lodged in our soul and they stop us from hearing from God until his grace comes and removes that so we can hear again. When my failure silences God's voice, his grace lets me hear again. When I mess up and I fail and my failure stops me from hearing God, it's his grace that can come and remove that distraction, that 
sin, that disobedience, and let me hear from him again. So Jonah experienced that here. So he goes to Nineveh. And then we get to verse 4. Take a look at verse 4 now. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So here's the second thing this morning. Receiving God's grace. I need grace because I miss the mark. Not only because I mess up sometimes, but because I miss the mark. And that's where the Ninevites are at at this point. So Jonah is going, goes a day's journey, so he doesn't even get the three full days. Like he just gets like part of the way in the city. He starts calling out and with like no delay, going to obey God right away this time. And I don't know if he's just really eager to obey God now to make sure this all goes well. Or if he's just like, let's just get this over with so I can be done and go back to my thing. Or, or if he's just like out of spite for the Ninevites, like now you're going to get it, right? So, um, but he starts proclaiming this message of 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, that statement right there is actually a summary statement. That, that probably wasn't his whole message, right? Like, there was probably more to it than that. Um, but the author kind of summarizes it down to just this one statement. This was the, the main crux of the message. And I think the reason they do, do that is not only for the storytelling capability of it, but really to de-emphasize Jonah. The people aren't going to respond to this message because Jonah's such a great preacher, or he's such a great communicator, or he's so awesome at what he's doing. They're going to respond because it's the message of God. These are God's words that are piercing their hearts and changing them and drawing them in. It's not because Jonah's awesome, right? We say this all the time around Harvest. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything, right? It's not about the person talking. It's not about the pastor. It's not about what... It's, it's about God's message, his word, piercing people's hearts. The messenger is nothing. The message is everything. So here, God's getting his message to the Ninevites through Jonah that in 40 days, something's going to happen. And 40 days is a really common period throughout the Bible. It's used a lot for times of testing and trial. And, you know, Moses had 40 uh, years that he was out after he killed the Egyptian. And then when he's up on the mountain with God and they're doing the whole thing with the Ten Commandments and the communication, he's up there 40 days. And the Israelites, when they disobeyed God, they were in the, the, the wilderness for 40 years, right? And you've got um, the, uh, Elijah, whenever he was you know, on the outs with Ahab and Jezebel and he's running for his life. That's, that was 40 days of running. Even Jesus, right, spends 40 days in the wilderness before. Like, this is like a thing God does. I don't, know what the, I don't know what's magical about 40, but this is like God's way. And he says, 40 days, and then Nineveh shall be overthrown. Which seems, you know, basic enough. But the Hebrew word there, behind overthrown, the only other place we find it in the Bible is when God prophesied and then carried out the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Anybody remember that story? Right? Like, God's like, they're all wicked. I'm just going to take out the whole city and Abraham's like, well, hold on. What if we find like 50 people? What if we find 40 people? What if we? He's like having this whole like argument with God. Right? He's like, all right, if you find, they could even find five righteous people in the city. Like all they had was like Lot and his family and they were even kind of questionable if we're being honest, right? And so, so God says, that's it. They're done and brings down fire from heaven and just engulfs the whole city. That's the picture in the minds 
of Jonah and the Ninevites. People knew that story. That's the picture in their mind when they hear Jonah's message. 40 days and that's what's coming. And it says that Nineveh believed God. And in that believe word doesn't just mean that they believed his message, but they believed in God. They trusted that, what, that this really was God and that what he said would come true, right? Like, and, and what's interesting is they're actually trusting more in God now than Jonah has for pretty much the whole story. And we see that they repent immediately. Now, a lot of people ask, you know, did they get saved? Is this, a, is this like a salvation thing? Like, I don't know. We don't know. God knows. Maybe some of them. I doubt all of them. You know, the whole city, that would probably be pretty crazy. But, but they at least repented enough and genuinely enough. They believed enough to, to really repent of their sin to make God change his mind, as we're going to see here in a second. So there was a genuineness to this belief at whatever level it plays out. And they, they show their repentance in verse 5, it says, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth. And so, again, the language here is showing us an immediate response. Unlike Jonah, man, they immediately got to it, this repentance thing. They didn't wait till like, day 39. Like, all right, tomorrow's the day. We better get it right today, right? Like, let's get this thing fixed. Which, unfortunately, is oftentimes how we try to deal with things, isn't it? Right? Like, yeah, God, I know I need to, to deal with that. I need to fix it. But you know, maybe next week, or like, I'll get to it, or like, you know, right before I die, I'll, I'll repent, and then we'll be good, and like, God doesn't play like that, right? The Bible teaches us, as believers, that we need to keep short sin accounts. Keep short sin accounts. The moment that God reveals it to us, man, we need to be seeking repentance, the longer we draw it out, the longer we wait, the worse it gets, the more discipline, the more struggle, the more it takes to get back to where we were spiritually. So these people, they immediately repent with expressions of grief and humility and penitence, like the, the fasting and the sackcloth, that was all what they did to show, man, we are really serious about this. We are really grieving our sin. We are really repentant. And we see that throughout the Bible. King Ahab did that at one point and called the whole country of Israelites to do the same thing. And the prophet, in the book of Joel, prophet Joel says, hey, everybody, you need to do this if you want to get right with the Lord again. And so there's, this isn't a thing, like this group kind of repentance thing. But they fasted, so they, they put off all their food. And then it says they put on sackcloth. And we don't really have sackcloth anymore. And so this is somewhat similar. I know that like Chip and Joanna kind of made burlap cool again. But um, if, like, if, if you can imagine, like instead of decorating with this stuff, that this is what they took off all their other clothes, no undergarments, no nothing, and they wore sackcloth just for days, right? This is like itchy and comfortable, even with my clothes on, right? But this was the attire of a repentant person. And the whole point of this wasn't just to make a fashion statement, because it's really not much of one, but was to say, look, we're putting off all of the comforts, the pleasures, the, all the good things of this world, we're setting those aside to humble ourselves and to get low and to remind ourselves of the seriousness of our sin or whatever it is that we are repenting about. So this was the kind of garb, if you will, that they would use when it talks about sackcloth. And then it closes with this in verse 5. It says, and from the greatest of them to the least of them, no one was exempt. 
there wasn't anybody who was good enough or perfect enough that, yeah, I don't need the repentance thing. And that's still true today, friends. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. If you're coming to this church thinking you're going to find a perfect church with perfect people, you are in the wrong place. Right? That's just not what it is. We're all sinners. We all miss the mark. That's actually the, 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 the simplest definition of sin, is that we miss the mark. We miss what God has called us to. None of us are exempt from needing to repent. None of us are exempt from needing God's grace and forgiveness at different points in our lives. And the way we get grace and the way we get repentance is through, or the way we get grace and forgiveness is through repentance. I don't know if you've ever been in one of these situations where somebody gets really, really mad about something and just irate about whatever, and, and it's like, it's like they're so mad they can't even hear the apology that the other person's trying to give, right? Well, I, was, I was picking up the girls one day from school, or, or one of our girls, and we were kind of standing in the lobby, and there was a whole bunch of parents around, and, and there was this one parent that you could tell they were kind of agitated, and all of a sudden they just start, like, start like going off on all the other parents because evidently there was like this email chain and about planning the upcoming school party or something, and they got left off of it, and they were like, it was intentional, and you're trying to leave us out, and you're trying to exclude us, and they start getting into this whole like yelling match in the lobby of the school, and and, all, and the other parents were like, we're sorry, we didn't know you got left off, it wasn't on purpose, and they're trying to like, but that person like was not hearing any of it, right? Like they just kept going and, and screaming and, and like they just, I don't know if they weren't expecting an apology that quick or if they just, they just didn't want an apology. They just wanted to, them to know, you hurt me, you were wrong, I was wronged, and you're gonna hear about it and you got what's coming to you and that was the whole heart behind it, right? And unfortunately, I think if we, if we would be honest, a lot of us have been in those moments. Where we're so angry, we're so mad, whether it be with our kids or our spouse or somebody at work or a family member. Like, we're just so mad about what they did and what happened that we just got to get it out. And we just start screaming and yelling, and you hurt me and you're wrong and you, you're going to hear about it. And when we do that, that's not about restoring a relationship. That's not about forgiveness. That's not about grace. That's just about wrath and and anger and I'm so thankful that God doesn't deal with us like that. God doesn't come yelling and screaming and wrath in your face and he disciplines us, yes. But he's always ready to hear our repentance. He's always ready to hear that apology and give forgiveness and give the grace that we need when we miss the mark. He's eager to do so. Remember last week we talked about brokenness? God runs to brokenness. He wants to give us his grace. When my failure brings God's discipline, it's his grace that allows me to seek forgiveness. There's a great verse in Romans that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not his wrath. It's not, his, it's not God throwing the hammer down that makes people finally repent. It's that as they're experiencing the, the consequences of their sin, as they're experiencing their need for forgiveness and repentance, and God says, whenever you're ready, I'm ready. And he shows them mercy and he shows them grace. And when they finally see that God's willing to forgive, that's when they come running. 
we need to be doing the same thing. I need grace because I mess up. I need grace because I missed the mark. And then the last thing, look at verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Last thing this morning, I need grace because a miracle is the only way. The only way I'm getting on the other side of this failure, on the other side of this sin, is the miracle of God's grace. So now we have, it kind of zooms in. Now we're looking at the whole city of Nineveh. Now it zooms into the, the king of Nineveh. This is the highest leader. He has absolute power over everything. There wasn't no democracy back then. Like he had, he ruled all of it. He was often, oftentimes the leaders then were even like worshipped almost as gods, Right? It says that he arose, again, same word, quickly, with haste. He arose from his throne and took off his robe. The throne and the robe were a big deal to the king. It showed his power. It showed his position. It showed his privilege. Like, nobody else in the, in the city had a throne. You get that? Like, like, the king alone had the throne, and he had the robe, and that was his thing. He was the one in charge. And he gets up and he takes off the robe and he puts on the sackcloth and he sits in ashes. He doesn't sit back down on the throne. Right? He's showing that he's weak and that he's low and that he's dependent on the Lord. That he's not the one in charge. He's humbling himself. And then he goes a step further. He doesn't just make it private repentance. He goes public with it. He's like, proclamation, tell everybody, this is what we're doing, right? We're fasting, we're doing the sackcloth thing, and like we're going to get low before God just hoping that he'll change his mind. He's like, just in case, just so we don't miss anything, not just the men, but all the beasts too, right? Like stop feeding the animals, put the sackcloth on them. Like nobody ever did that. Like, that's like a weird thing, okay? Like, but he's like, we don't want to cover all the bases, Make sure that we're not offending this God any further. He says, don't taste anything, like full fast. Like we've done some fasting in our church before, but it's usually like a food fast, not like a water fast. Like when you're fasting from everything, that's like hardcore. He says, fast, don't taste anything, sackcloth, full mourning. And then he says, listen, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just do the outward behaviors. He says, I also want you to call out mightily to God and turn from your evil. Repentance isn't just about the outward behaviors. Repentance is first and foremost about the heart. Is this changing? Am I turning from my sin and turning to God? That's repentance. Turning away from sin and turning towards God so that he can come and shower his grace and forgiveness upon me. He says that's what we need to do, friends. Because if we do, maybe maybe God will turn and relent from his anger. There's no guarantee. He's still recognizing, listen, we're not in charge here. God's in charge. He can do what he wants. But maybe if we fall on his grace, we will get a miracle 
and God will turn away his anger from us. He knew the only way they were getting out of this was the miracle grace of God. And verse 10 ends it for us in this chapter. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God saw, and he relented. Our God is a patient God. That was a great spot for an amen. Anybody, I guess nobody else needs that patience but me. Come on now. Our God is a patient God. Man, just think about how many times he waits for us to get it right instead of just slamming us with his wrath. 2 Peter 3, 9, I've been working on this verse in my own life. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's desire is that we would turn from our sin, that we would turn to him, receive his grace and his forgiveness, and you can do that today. No matter what your background is, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter what you're still doing right now, if you're willing to repent of that and turn to the Lord, you can experience the miracle of his grace right now. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. All you got to do to receive God's grace is confess your sin. Confession is just agreeing with God that in his word, that yes, it is sin in my life. I'm not going to try to dodge it. I'm not going to try to pawn it off or something else. I'm not going to try to make an excuse for it. No, I agree with you, God. It's sin. That's confession. Then repentance is turning away from, it literally means 180 degrees, turning away from your sin and turning to God. And then what we talked about last week is as I do that, there needs to be brokenness. I need to humble myself and be dependent on the Lord to experience that grace. Sometimes I think when you're in church a lot or you're around Christians a lot, we we stop seeing the miracle of God's grace at work, right? It's there, it's all around us still, but we just kinda, we kinda, uh, it becomes normal or it becomes like routine and we just, we just don't see it like we used to see it. We, We lose the awe of it and we forget that only a miracle of his grace is what makes all of this possible. When I look around this room, I see story after story after story of God's grace. Marriages restored after sexual sin. People delivered from addictions after struggling with it for years. People delivered from, from, um, from just a... a, a a struggle that they've had with, with, with a choice they made in their earlier life, whether that be with a person or with a child that they gave up or with, uh, you know, a, a, a something with their family or like, and they've, they found hope and grace past that. Those who struggle with anger and, and violence and have been delivered from that, and that's not in their heart anymore. Couples freed from greed and debt and finding new freedom to to live in the provision of the Lord. 
singles who have struggled with loneliness for years are finally finding good, strong Christian community and experiencing the love that they've desired for years. New God-honoring marriages that have come out of painful, sinful divorces. People released from bitterness against friends and family and parents. I I could sit down with every single one of you and you've got a story. Miracle, miracle, miracle. This is God's grace. This is God's grace to us. We need to receive that and we need to celebrate the fact that our church is a testimony to the grace of God and the lives of his people. But the only way we get that, the only way we get that miracle of God's grace and forgiveness is through repentance and brokenness. When I fail, God's grace can give me the miracle of forgiveness. Like I said earlier, your failure doesn't have to be final. Whatever that is in your life, whether that be a sin you've been struggling with for years, whether that just be a disobedient season that you're walking in, whether that be a distraction that's taking your worship away from God and putting your priorities on other things, whatever your deal is, man, God's grace is bigger than that. And he wants to come running and, and, and pour his grace and his mercy into your life. And he's telling you, failure doesn't have to be final. There's another chapter for you. There's another word for you on the other side of that. If you'll put your faith in me. We're all sinners. We all struggle with the same sinful hearts. And God knows that, and he knows we can't fix it. He says, I'm going to send you my son. He's going to live the perfect life in your stead. He's going to go to the cross and die a sinner's death to pay for your sin and for my sin and to make it possible for you to have a new life, to have something better on the other side of your failure. And Jesus rose from dead three days later to show that he was God and to offer all of us mercy and grace and forgiveness. And you get it by confessing your sin, repenting, and turning to the Lord in brokenness. God wants to cover your failures with his grace. He's just waiting on you to come and receive it. Will you come to him in humble repentance and let him give you a new chapter to live out? Stand with me, let's pray, and respond in song. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word in our hearts and our lives this morning. God, we know that nothing we can do is worthy. We can't fix our own failures. We can't fix our sin problems. Lord, every time we try, it might give us temporary relief. It, sometimes it just makes things worse. Like, But you have the answer, Lord. Your sovereign, powerful, mighty hand can fix any problem, Lord. We fail in many ways, but you're bigger than all of that. And your grace can turn any failure around 
to good. Lord, today, right now, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see where we need to humble ourselves, where we need to repent and receive your grace in our lives. Lord, we confess today we need you. We need you now, right here in our lives, in this church. We need you. Pour out your grace on us. Pray all these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Let's sing and respond to the Lord.